0: But today we're going to be on our fourth installment. It's going by pretty fast, isn't it? We're going to be on our fourth installment. And we've titled it, What Will the Residence Be Like in Heaven? You know, if you were given unlimited funds, unlimited resources, unlimited time, and unlimited help to assist you... and you were told to imagine and create your own own, uh, Disneyland-type place, what would you make? What would you put into it? Would you give it a theme? What activities would you put into it? It would be a pretty grand place if you had all that. And you can just, oh, what would I do? You know, would I make a great big old fishing hole full of catfish? Or would I, yeah, what would I do? About 10 years ago, and it's changed a lot since then, but 10 plus years ago, I watched a documentary about the development and the construction of what was then the world's largest cruise ship. Now, it's old now, it's 10 years old, but they build more. And maybe more grandeur now, was called the Sovereign of the Seas. The cost ten years ago to build this one ship was one and a half billion dollars. It took eight thousand man years to build it. That's a long time. Yeah. Needless to say, it was incredible. It had a central park with an open atrium, a handmade carousel, a zip line over the atrium for entertainment, 25 restaurants, an open air theater, water pools as the stage for water-based dramatic theatrical presentations, and on and on and on. There was not much it didn't have. These guys had basically unlimited funds and unlimited time to go out and be crazy. This floating fantasy. But as great as that design was, or whatever you would make if you were given unlimited funds and unlimited everything, what do you think happened when people started to show up? Well, you know, we had cleanup. You had repair, you had trash, you had maintenance. I've been on a cruise ship and they're painting all the time. Even though it's brand new, you got to paint it all the time. They had hassles and on and on and on. In the last few weeks, we covered quite a bit about heaven, including the new earth, the new heaven, the new Jerusalem. And they're incredible to be Sure. But as we talked about them we need to make sure that these don't that the new heaven the new earth the new Jerusalem does not exist without residents and those residents will include the believers of all ages which if you are a believer a believer in Christ it will include you Now as a reminder we need to remember this all the time Heaven is not what we want it to be. Heaven is what God made it to be. And that's best anyway. MacArthur summed it up like this. Quote, The Bible teaches that we will experience the eternal perfection of body and soul. That is to say the eternal perfection of the whole person. And since we as human beings are comprised of the inner man and the outer man, we will be perfect spirit and body. So the purpose of God's redemption is to make us fit so we can dwell forever in his presence. And when we become saved, everything regarding salvation... Our salvation, when you became a believer, everything regarding that salvation was not completed or not finished. Your salvation was sure, it was complete, and that nothing else was required of us. We were born again, as is stated in John three thirty-seven, but there are aspects of our salvation that are not yet complete. And we could take a lot of time to study that. The spiritual growth and the sanctification of the believer. We don't instantly, instantly become mature in our faith. And this is evident in Ephesians four, eleven to 15 where we read, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors, and some as teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. And then Romans thirteen eleven. It says a very interesting statement, I think. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Every day we get closer to the completion of what God is going to do. We are heading for this completion. The believer's completed or finished salvation has begun with the salvation of our souls and the transformation of our inner self or of our soul. And the end of our salvation is still to come. When we put our faith, faith in Christ, we were made a new creation. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 and Colossians 2.10. says that we have been filled in Him in Christ. 2 Second, Second Peter 1 says we have been granted everything pertaining to life and godliness. So salvation makes us a new person. But our physical body doesn't change yet. Words like justification and sanctification and adoption in the indwelling of the Spirit of God have relevance to this new life in Christ. Romans 6.18 says this, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That's an interesting thing. We become slaves of righteousness when we become believers. And then remember, just a few verses later in Romans 6, It says the wages of sin is death. So we have received the gift of of God, which is eternal life. Verse 22 says, But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive our benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. And I had to ask myself when I read that, have you thought of your life, have I thought of my life, this way. Freed from sin and enslaved to God. Sometimes we don't think of it that way. At least I battle with that. Enslaved to God. In our hearts, our inner man, that God has miraculously changed our heart, we love and long for the right things. Paul said, and we can relate to this. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. We can relate to that. Paul continues in Romans seven seventeen. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He's stating here that even with this new life in Christ, he struggles to do what he wants because of his sin. When we think of the Apostle Paul, you don't sit there and say, Boy, that guy was a real sinner. Right? He thought of himself that way. He says, It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am. But notice that Paul didn't abandon that struggle. Again, that's a whole other study we could play with for several weeks. We, like believers in every age, are inhibited in our living righteously because of sin. But that doesn't mean we don't struggle to do that. Verse 18 of Romans 7, Paul continues, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You know, sin impacts everything about us. I'm sorry, but everyone here, including me, we got this problem. I got this problem. Sin impacts everything, not just in our physical body, but the whole of our existence, our mind, our emotions, and our will. And even in our new life in Christ, we are stuck in this fallen state. MacArthur said this, Our soul has been redeemed, and deep within our human spirit, God has planted new life. The life of God is within us in the form of His indwelling Spirit, but we cannot fully express even what is in our soul because we are hampered by sin. He's right. Our soul and our body still wrestle with this fallen condition. But don't get discouraged. It's easy to go, "Ah, I'm defeated. Don't get discouraged because God has planted us in us his spirit we now have the power to do what is right and just You know, before you became a believer you didn't have that power you were just going to do what was wrong you were going to do what was sin yes we have a war within us because the spirit working within us to fight against our fallen nature but we need to be thankful for that war that war isn't there something's wrong we need to be thankful for that war and this incredible good news is brought out in Romans 8, 23, where it says, We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Yeah, we're leading into heaven. This is getting us there we have received a small taste of what awaits us. We groan as we wait for the completion of salvation given to us by our Savior. And it's interesting, Romans 8.23 says, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons. We wait eagerly for this completion, for this eternal position in heaven with Christ. MacArthur said this, he said, sin has crippled us in many ways. It has marred our spirit. It has scarred the faculties of thought, of will, and feeling. And we long for the day when we will be redeemed from head to toe, from outside to inside. God will make every dimension of our existence absolutely perfect And eternally holy and righteous and without flaw. So let's look a little bit about what we're looking for. This righteous and without flaw and perfect and eternally holy. In heaven, we are going to lose everything that has been impacted by our fallen state and our sin. Now, all believers, and we know, and we know this, but we need to be reminded sometimes, are far from perfect. I'm far from perfect, and so are you. But the moment a believer dies, that believer's soul enters immediately into the presence of God and is instantly <laughs> perfected. This is brought out in Philippians one twenty three. Where it says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, at present, those who are in the presence of God God, have not yet gone through their bodily resurrection. Hasn't happened yet. And we're going to talk more about what happens in this interim step in a couple weeks. All believers who have died are now in the presence of God but only in their spirit or their soul. We'll get more to that later because there's a lot of aberrant teaching out there on what, what that state is like. But those in heaven right now are perfected spirits. 2 Corinthians 5.8 said, Yes, we are of good courage We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. When we die, our soul or our spirit is with the Lord. It will be perfected there, and there will be no sin or no remnants of sin. What we long for in this life, we will receive when we go to be with the Lord. Perfect freedom from sin and the effects of sin and evil for all eternity. Now that should be something that we could just sit and ponder for a bit. What will that look like? Well, we don't know. We've never experienced anything like that. Revelation 21:27 makes it clear. But nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So imagine that. Nothing unclean. Never an evil thought. Never a sinful thought. Never a selfish twinge. Never an evil word. By everyone. The battle with our old nature will be forever gone. This battle that Paul was talking about, I don't do I don't do I want to do good, That's gone. That's going to be pretty sweet. Everyone in heaven is pure. When we think about there, no sin, no suffering, no sorrow, no pain, no temptation will ever come upon us. No temptation. There will be no division. No discord, no hate, no fights, no arguments, no disagreements, no selfishness. Woo! (laughs) And along with that, there's going to be no repentance. What are you repenting from? Right? There's nothing to repent of, no weeping, no danger, no trial. As we see in Luke 16.25, there's going to be comfort. And that's the story of Lazarus when he used an area of comfort. And there will be love. We look at 1 Corinthians 13.8-13. Just real quickly, love is a word today that the non-Christian community has no clue when they talk about You know, love is love, and you know, this whole LGBTQ, oh, it's all about love. No, it's not. They don't know what love is. What's described in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 13 will be in full completion. It says, Love never ends, but when the perfect comes, verse 10, the partial will pass away. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face, I know that, and I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. It talks about when the perfect comes. We're talking about eternity. It's interesting. I was just listening this morning to what I would call an idiot. <laughs> um, he was. He tell was. Jim, you said that. What's that? I'm going to tell Jim you said that. Well, no, I, I'm not talking about Jim. <laughs> this is a YouTube deal, and a guy was. He was calling on the carpet a false prophet. Only one, and a whole bunch more. But this guy also believed in that he was a prophet and other things. And he said the reason why prophets, today's prophets, misprophesy and give you a bunch of false prophets is because they now see in a mirror dimly. Uh, no. <laughs> that taking a verse out of context and just jerking it for your own doesn't work. But when the perfect comes, that was free by the way, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. We, now we see in Mirror dimly, but then face to face. I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. That's what's going to be in heaven. We will love perfectly. There will be complete joy. You know, the joy we have in this life is mixed with sorrow, sadness, discouragement, and disappointment. Our sinful self and our world impacts Joy, But heaven is someplace completely different. It's interesting, at the end of the parable um, of the talents that Jesus gave in Matthew 25. Verse 21, the master told each of his faithful servants after he had told them, well done. What did he say? He said, now enter the joy of your master. The joy of your master is what heaven is. And it will last for eternity. And I thought, thinking about that. The joy of your master. And Hebrews 12, 2 says this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down in the right hand of the throne of God. So I looked up the word joy. In both of these cases, it's the word chiro. And in the Greek lexicon, definitions can include this. To rejoice, to rejoice exceedingly, to be well, or to thrive. Enter the joy of our master. We tend to forget that God has joy. I do. We think about all the attributes of God. If, you were to, if I were to come in here without giving anybody any uh, clues, write down some attributes of God. You'd write a whole bunch of them down. and They'd all be probably very good. But one I would bet would probably not be written down is that God has joy. Enter the joy of our Master. The eternal dwelling place of the believers will give God joy. Think about the joy it gave as you as a parent to provide for your children. When you did something and your child was, child was so happy, you were happy, right? God gave us redemption and the eternal joy of heaven Is to enter into the joy of the master. I just like thinking about that. Now to this point we have not brought up anything about our physical existence. In the physical new heaven and new earth. And new Jerusalem. If heaven is physical. And it is. We will also be physically placed in this physical place. Now, we can function in a sense outside of our bodies. You know, I can call you on the phone, write you an email. Uh, if I did Twitter, I could do a Twitter or a tweet or whatever they're called, um, or Facebook post, uh, you know, and you're talking to someone, but it's, it's, it's not physical. There's not any contact at all with anybody. But in the eternal heaven, there's going to be more than just eternal spirits. MacArthur said this, I think I put the, the, the quote in your notes. At the time of the resurrection, the bodies of the redeemed will be joined to their spirits. And they will be in the eternal perfection of body and soul. God created man and woman to be body and soul or body and spirit. So when he perfects his believers... This will include everything soul, spirit, and body. And at death, we're separated from our body. The believer's body goes to the grave, and we've talked about it a little bit before, his spirit goes to be with the Lord. And this will last until our bodily resurrection. Jesus said in John 5 28, <coughs> Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There is a great resurrection coming. And we see in this verse that at that time, everyone, and yes, this means everyone, no exclusions, who have ever existed, will be joined body and soul. And there are but two possibilities. The redeemed go to eternal perfection of body and soul, and the unbelievers to eternal torments of judgment. And people who like to think that Jesus is his great teacher, they don't bring up the last half of John five, twenty eight 28, 29. Jesus talked about judgment a lot because he knows it's coming. He knows it's there. But this is what's ahead for everyone. And time is marching minute by minute by minute, day by day, year by year, till it comes. And for your information, if you wanted to go to Revelation 20, we're not going to go there today. Uh, the resurrection of the ungodly is covered there in Revelation twenty eleven 11-14. But let's go to the believer's resurrection for a little bit to find out more about what we will be like. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-17 says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so will we always be with the Lord. Those are fun verses to read. When Jesus returns he will bring with him the saints who have died earlier and then in verse 15 those who are Alive when he comes who are still in body and spirit not yet glorified will be caught up with those coming with Jesus those who come will be in their glorified bodies they don't have them yet but they're going to have them when Jesus comes when Jesus comes to rapture the church the first group taken are those who have fallen asleep these will get their new bodies And then those who are alive at that time will go up to heaven after them. How does that happen? How long does it take? Well, possibly it doesn't say, but possibly in an instant, or like we talked about the other day, a twinkling of an eye. It's possible. How how, God doesn't—it doesn't take God very long to do that. He is not bound by anything like time. He could do it immediately. MacArthur thinks the transition. He thinks, so we don't know, but he very, very well could be. He thinks this transition of the people who are alive will be to glorified bodies. Will take place as the believers are being caught up to the Lord, basically. Boom. First, Second Corinthians five one says this: For we know. That if the tent is our earthly home, but the tent that is our earthly home, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We're not going to... Those who are alive are not going to go up there and come back with the same bodies. They're going to come back with glorified bodies. What's going to happen to those bodies? I don't have a clue. Okay? But they will be not needed. You wouldn't want to keep this body anyway, would you? <laughs> now, First Corinthians fifteen thirty-five to forty-nine can answers a lot of questions about our glorified bodies. We'll start. I won't read the whole passage, but it starts out by saying, in First Corinthians fifteen. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they come? You fool. That which you sow does not come from life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be but a bare grain, perhaps a wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished. So someone's always questioning in verse 5, 35, how were the dead raised? And someone is always questioning if that can and really will happen. There are all kinds of what if questions. You might have thought of them. You might have heard them. Well, what if a person was obliterated in a nuclear blast? How can God raise that body? How about if he's eaten by a wild beast? How can God raise that body? How does that work? How about those that have been dead for 4,000 years and there's nothing left but dust? Man tries to reason through the physical challenges of the resurrection. Like raising a dead body that's in a grave That's been embalmed is easier than raising something that's been obliterated in Hiroshima. That's about as fruitful to try to reason through that. That's about as fruitful as reasoning how God created the universe by using only His Word. He spoke matter into existence. He spoke matter into existence. He spoke light into existence. When you read Genesis 1, "Let there be light." Boom, there was light. He didn't go into his factory and, you know, put some molecules together and come up with light. He just said, "Let there be light." He spoke life into existence. I read the following, and I can't remember where I read this. I tried to find it, and I couldn't find it, but it's very interesting. Regarding a resurrected body. Quote, Human bodies are made up of cells, and they are made of molecules, and it is very highly probable that some of the molecules in a person's body that make up the cells of that body were once molecules that were in the cells of other bodies. Even human bodies, at the time of death of other human beings. How then can the exact same dead bodies be resurrected for everyone if over time the dead bodies shared molecules while on earth? That guy just trying to argue against believing what God says. This is the type of reasoning that is given to reject the bodily resurrection that can and will take place. These people challenge the idea that a biblical God exists. And then if he does exist, they say, well, God, you can't figure that out. It's foolishness. If God can make us, he can remake us. We saw earlier that God was going to recreate the universe. A new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to be totally different. We talked last week about the New Jerusalem being 1,500 miles cubed. Okay. Try to do that in today's world. First of all, doesn't the earth go like this? You'd have, a chance. You'd have to do some digging to make sure that you had the foundations. I don't think God worries about that. You know, even in our bodies today, new cells are taking place of old cells. It's a constant state of replenishment or replacement. I've heard this. You've probably heard it. Much of the dust in our house comes from where? From us. God has the power and the knowledge to make us a new body to accommodate the eternally perfect soul. Remember, the new body is not going to be like the one here. There are going to be no more seas in heaven, in the new heaven, the new earth. It's going to be a different environment. It's not a house made with hands. It's an eternal house, as that one verse said. Continue in in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 36 tells us those who argue that way are just fools. Or admit, literally, it means senseless. It says, you foolish person what you sow does not come to life unless it dies the analogy here through this all the way down to verse 41 is that when you plant a seed what grows does not resemble the seed anybody put an acorn in the ground the acorn doesn't grow up an oak tree grows up and it makes acorn how's that work God made it work. The life principle is in the seed. The seed dies, and when it is planted, up and comes a new plant. And there's a vast difference between a seed and our bodies. But Paul says because if the work of God, because of the work of God, our body is going to be changed like a seed that dies and produces a plant could never You would have never guessed that if all you had was a seed. What's that going to look like? The bodies will have some connection to the one that was buried or the one that died. But they will be different. How they will be different, we don't know. In our new bodies, I know this. I will be me and you will be you. Only, you will be perfect and I will be perfect. We will be the same. And it will still be me. But we'll be perfect. So we'll be different. So we're going to be the same and different. I know. <laughs> it's mind boggling. It's but it's fun mind boggling. Right? <laughs> Verse 39 provides another illustration about the body. It says all flesh is not the same flesh. There's one flesh of man, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, another of fish. On earth there are all different kinds of flesh. God was not restricted to one kind of flesh in creation. And he won't be restricted in the future. Verse 40 says, There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. Now God has made everything from the atom and all the stuff that makes up an atom which is extremely complex the more we learn about it the more complex it gets he's made everything from the atom to a man mankind to an insignificant uninhabitable planet to the sun that brings light and life to the earth Those who say, I don't believe God could ever make a resurrection body, it is impossible. They refuse to see what God has done. They refuse to think he is capable of doing what they themselves do not understand. And the whole evolutionary theory falls right into this deal. God didn't do it. So I've got to come up with an idea. I was watching, and I had Connie watch it this week, a... A lecture given um, on the eye and the complexity of the eye, and uh, how they showed this one interview with some scientist, and she said, "Well, here's how it happened. You had these, you had these molecules and bacteria. I think she said they were, and some of them started becoming aware of light, and so they went down." Away from the light, into the and the other molecules, the light kind of destroyed them because they were they weren't as, as as well adapted. And then later on, that 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 light thing came. It kind of went in a, a little shape like this. And then a little later, you had a pinhole eye, and and, and get, it, nobody's laughing in the audience. I mean, <laughs> and she's dead serious. Yeah and she's talking and she's talking and just, you're going I, I I agree with Frank Turek I don't have enough faith to be an atheist right. but yeah, exactly. um, everything you know, just happened that way mm-hmm. they don't believe God could do it so they come up with this and, and then she talks about the evolution of this and then a couple hundred years later a couple hundred million years this <laughs> happened then a couple hundred million years this happened like well, that's just a natural progression of things. They don't believe God could ever make a body. He that he could ever make life, that he could ever make the earth and so you start talking about God's going to make a resurrection body. That you know, just blows them away. But, uh, they can't go there. They refuse to look at what God has done. Verse 41. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars different from star in glory. When you and I look at the stars, you go out some night when it's nice and dark, no moon, you're away from all the urban light. Do all the stars kind of look the same to you? Some are a little brighter than others. and That's about it. They They all kind of look like Stars. But you know what? This is saying in verse 41, the planets aren't even alike. They're all different. They're like a snowflake. Each one is unique. They're not identical. They vary in lots of ways. And I'm not an astronomer, but you have size and you have light and you have all that kind of stuff and distance from the earth. and From stars to seeds, no two are exactly alike. There are no two plants, no two animals, no two people that are exactly alike. So if someone asks how God could ever create the resurrection body, they don't really understand the power and the creativity of God. 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to say, and here's where it gets kind of fun, verse 42, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You know, God can make any kind of body he wants. At this point, MacArthur said this. He says, as one body differs from another, so the resurrection body can differ from the body we know now. There is the possibility that God is going to create a unique body A body like we don't understand. I think that's more than a possibility. I think that's a certainty. Somehow, he goes on, somehow it will connect up with us. It will have our human personality in it. But it will be preserved forever with all its distinctions, with all its uniquenesses, in absolute and eternal perfection. So, our new body will be something like we have never seen. But I will still be me, and you will still be you. Okay? Got it? As much as you can. There's a great difference between the two. Yes. that could be if you didn't hear he said God knew us before we were created so our uniqueness really doesn't do doesn't have anything to do with our physical body our physical nature because God knew us before that that's a good that's a good uh, thing to think about And I've got a little uh, thing in your notes there the great difference between the two between, our old body and our resurrected body. The comparison between the two. We're sown as perishable. Well, we all know what perishable is, and you look in the mirror and you can see us perishing. All right? Raised as imperishable. Our new body will be imperishable. Sown in dishonor, sin, the effects of sin. Raised in glory. Sown in weakness. I was helping my son move some stuff yesterday. I used to be able to grab those things and pull them. They're, they're a lot heavier now. Mm-hmm. Raised in power. Sown as natural, raised as spiritual. Raised a spiritual body does not mean that it's just a spirit. It means that the body can contain and express its ways in spiritual ways, just like we do now. So we're imperishable. Never decay. Never age. No elimination parts in it. I don't have to have any replacement surgery. I don't need a hip replacement. I don't need any of that stuff. I don't need glasses. Huh? You know, will our body be different than that? Will we have knees? And, uh, you know, how is that all going to work? I don't know how it's all going to work. But it will be permanently and eternally perfect. We will never feel somewhere and go, oh man, where'd that lump come from? <laughs> Not going to happen. I'm like, boy, I'm stiff today. <laughs> It'll be glorious. It will be a reflector of the glory of God. Remember what we have in the New Jerusalem with the transparent gold that the glory of God will emanate and radiate from that. Our bodies will be a reflector of God's glory. It'll be powerful. I don't know exactly what all that means. But it won't be weak. Think about the weaknesses we have now. And every day... At my age, you get weaker and weaker. But that's that's going to go away. And it will give us, it will be spiritual, a renewed spirit, a perfect spirit. And the other thing about this new body, it will exist and perfectly adapted for the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. That new heavens and earth and Jerusalem we talked about last week, will fit right in there just like Natural. It'll, it'll be a perfect fit. Something that we cannot fathom from where we sit today. I mean, that's amazing. Pretty much unbelievable, and all we can do is praise God for what He did. There's a, then there's a great statement in verse 48 and 49. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust and that is the man and as is the man of heaven so also are those who are of heaven just as we have been born in the image of man of dust we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven we will bear the image of Christ that's quite an insight you know on this earth we're like who adam in heaven, we will bear the image of Christ. If you ever want to define the word "awesome," that'd probably be it. We will bear the image of Christ. We are going to be like Christ. We're get, are, are we going to be perfect? I mean, God, no, but we're going to be like Him. What is He like? He's incorruptible eternal glorified spiritual just like we read we read that we will be like him because we will see him as he is according to first or philippians 3:21 it says this but our citizenship is in heaven our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the lord jesus christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Can you imagine that? fun to sit down and think about. We have been saved to be conformed to the image of God's son. 1 John 3.2 says this. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. What was he like? What was Jesus like? Well, after his resurrection, when he came back before he ascended, a cloud took him to heaven. He moved about. He appeared suddenly in his glorified humanity. He moved through walls. He ate with his disciples. He talked. He walked with his disciples on the road to Emmaus. He could touch and be touched. He wasn't a spirit. But all those things took place on the old earth. How will it be different in the new heaven and the new earth? We get to find out if you're a believer. I don't know how all of it will work or play out. My imagination can only go this far. But it's sure going to be fun to find out. We are going to be like Christ. We will have a body fit for the full life of God to indwell and express itself forever. A body that is ultimately satisfied, that knows no pain, no tears, no sorrow, no sickness, no separation, no death, no sin, and we could go on. A lot of people ask, "Well, what's it going to be like? You know, am I going to be a kid? Are you going to, am I going to be old? Am I going to be this? I'm going to be that. It really doesn't matter. because we're going to be like this. What does it say to us? Our longing for our eternal destiny in heaven, our longing for it should be intense. instead of an intense longing for comfort, satisfaction, and delights in this life that we spend so much time pursuing. Everything in this world is temporal. We know that. Everything in this world has been and will continue to be marred by sin. We know that. In this life, the desire of God, the desire of God for us is to seek first his righteousness. That's what God wants us to do. So if we are longing to hold on to the enjoyments of this world, we are striving after something we cannot ever find or ever keep. Ecclesiastes brings that out. We are participating, really, when you think through it, we're participating in irrational behavior. We are missing out on the blessings of God in this life, as he promises to give us the fruits of the Spirit. We are sinning in that we are idolizing a decaying, godless, Christ-rejecting world. And we are living a life that we can never be ultimately satisfied in. We should groan for heaven. MacArthur wrote this. I think I put it in your notes. We should groan like freedom is groaned for by a prisoner. Like health is groaned for by a sick man. Like food is longed for by someone who is hungry. Like water for one who is parched of thirst. Like the farmer... Does for the harvest, like the worker does for payday, like the runner does for the finish line. If we don't, something is out of whack. I say stupid things sometimes, and one thing I do when I, I said that, I had to ask myself, what does in whack mean? Um anyway. We all know what out of whack is. I've never heard anybody say, well, that's in whack. But anyway. That's true. Yeah, That's true. <laughs> anyway, but if we don't do that, something is out of whack. Remember Paul's statement in Philippians one twenty one: For me to live is Christ and die is gain. We get a little bit of an idea of what the residents will be like, what we will be like, what the people who have gone before us are like now they're experiencing that now what a great what a great gift God has given to us and we didn't deserve it he redeemed us through his love let's thank him with our lives for that shall we let's pray